Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Okay, well, my friends, we are in the midst of season three at this point, and we have a return guest today who I am delighted can take some some time here to join us. Uh, Dr. Joel Looper has been on the podcast previously as season two. We had a discussion about Bonhoeffer, and, and he at the time had a forthcoming book on Bonhoeffer from Baylor University Press. It is now live. It is live in the world. Isn't that right, Joel? It is live. It's That's right. out there. It exists. People are, are buying it. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Twitter or Instagram or some kind of photos of it on people's shelves. I'm seeing <laughs> pictures of boxes arriving to your house. Um, tell me, just tell me upfront, what in the world is it like to have a real book that you authored that is physically like in your hand or that you like to see people like hold, hold what in the world is that like that's got to be one of the most look at that thing that's got to be one of the most strange like what kind of feeling is that all that work all that effort this is if i'm not mistaken this is um the adaption of your your doctoral thesis it your, is all that yeah. work which doesn't always turn into a book as we know a lot of time doctoral theses <laughs> sort of end up as a pedagogical exercise that no one that's else right see. um but the good ones, um, the ones that are on something that is that feels fresh and interesting and really wasn't a topic that um, you just sort of, you know, so many doctoral theses are so unbelievably specialized, it's hard to <laughs> generate any interest. <laughs> but your, your topic, immediate interest. You have Bonhoeffer, you have America, and then you have one of the great subtitles here, A Land Without Reformation. I mean, the title and the subtitle, Phenomenal. Bonhoeffer's America, a land without reformation. To, to write a thesis that becomes a book already incredibly impressive. What is it like to have a real book exist in the world? Well, um, it's, I'll tell you what, it's strange to have three years of work. Um, that's about how long it took to write this distilled into an object that's, you know, a, a little more than a pound. <laughs> you know, it's like That's one way to put it. <laughs> it's it's a, that, it's very odd. Um, and and then there are just copies laying around out there, right? And and someone someone could read this, and then you know you, you read it one week, and then you, you might not even remember it. You know, a month later, and and <laughs> and I'm like, I, I worked for I worked on that for years, and then I think. I do that to other people all oh, the no. time. Oh no! All the books shelves <laughs> you right now. Oh no! So, um, but yes, there is a uh, there is a satisfaction in uh, in seeing. Hope, please say there is some satisfaction. There, there certainly. Those of us is. who hope someday, please say there's at least a little frisson, a little sense that happens yes. when you open the box. There, there is, there is, a, um, there is definitely satisfaction in in seeing the, the product out there in the world and and wondering what other people will do with it uh, because with this book there are so many um, you know questions that are raised some which I don't have the answers to um, and you know one where do we 
is the American church go from here, <laughs> which, you know, you and I have talked about that at length. Um, and that goes, that question goes well beyond Bonhoeffer. Um, and I, you know, I have certain ideas. You have certain ideas. I don't, I, you know, I think the only thing um, that we can do, and this actually is Bonhoeffer is pray and, you know, righteous action. Mm-hmm. And then we wait. And we hope and you know that God will move. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's 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 get into it from a particular angle. Last time you were on the podcast, um, we talked. Well, and in fact, we did talk about sort of the thesis of the book, did. Um, the argument of the book, um, and and you know, correct me here. Um, this is just you know, I'm pulling up the archives of the mind here. Um, but you had talked about. America sort of not having a community that was powerful enough, like the church community, the separation of church and state, right? And you talked about how sort of, I think the community of the state was so, so much more powerful maybe than the community of the church, a a land without a a state church with the separation of those things sounds really good. Um, But as far as forming individuals as Christians, we're in a weird place. Like we're in a weird place. It's an experiment, not just of government, but it was, it's an experiment of, of how to do church in some basic ways mm-hmm. as well, right? And if I'm remembering correctly, your argument was it, it, it hasn't done very well in the sense that, and Bonhoeffer, see, it, yeah. there's, there's a formation that the church has not been able to accomplish in a land where everyone is a king, everyone is a pope, every denomination is its own state, is its own reality. And then ultimately, the things that in our time we've seen have shaped Christians more than anything else is in fact their state and their politics of state. That's not church, right? Um, And so, so maybe, maybe starting with that idea, this podcast was started, you know, a few years ago, believing that to be the case, believing that for all our rhetoric, um, when we say this is a post-Christian world, it really has to do with the kinds of people we've been formed or formed ourselves to be, not that the gospel is somehow hidden or confusing or, you know, never really reached, you know, <laughs> home or whatever. Um, but a post-Christian world in the sense that we've moved on from having Christ and the gospel fundamentally order our loves, our lives, our ordinary day-to-day decisions, um, the way we treat others, the way we speak, just the basic habits of a life um, are post-Christian, even for many or most Christians. Uh, is that is that yeah. fair? Absolutely. Um, I couldn't, yeah, I, I don't think I could add, uh, I don't think Bonhoeffer could add anything to that. That's... Um, you know, if your love is ordered um, away from Christ, then, you know, your life is ordered away from Christ. <laughs> so, and, and, and people don't necessarily believe that to be true, right? So it's that Christ is not the chief love, is not the preeminent yeah. source of ordering, uh, is not the central principle or figure, or relationship, or, or identity around which we are organizing our lives, and and this can be seen in the in when we act unchristianly, right? <laughs> when, when we talk to people in ways Christ commands us not, 
uh, when we do things that Christ forbids us to do, <laughs> when we cannot yeah. simply obey uh, what Jesus teaches us to do and to live and to be in the Gospels, we are hitting moments where we are unchristian or post-Christian in our own existence, our own experience. Um, yeah. And and you know, as you say, Bonhoeffer's view of America, you know, not too long ago, but but you know, quite a bit ago compared to most people's sort of timeline of. Uh, uh, I, I've been I've been reading finally uh, Jesus and John Wayne, for example, ah. and um, and even just thinking of what was happening in the 60s and 70s and 80s into the 90s and being like, oh, my gosh, I don't even remember, you know, because I was either a, a baby or I was a child. Like these are exactly the same things we are doing again and again. That was, you know, 30 years ago, you know, like it's not that yeah. long, but even my own sort of cultural memory or history you know is unbelievably thin <laughs> when when i'm not really working at it um so so thinking of what bonhoeffer saw in the formation of, of americans uh, and how it was probably much more christian than what you and i are seeing in just the very basic outlines of decency of behavior uh love of neighbor you know just fundamental civility um that might be at least vibing with a Christian, um, you know, ethos. Um, when we have a moment like this, maybe I could ask you the personal question first. Um, how do you militate against being formed in the ways we're afraid the church has actually, or the Christians have actually been formed? How, how do you, as a person, a person of faith, a person of conviction, person who is thoughtful, who, who, who reads probably, you know, as much of more than than most engaged Christians, um, how have you approached church, um, your life? You have a, a wife, a child. Um, you know, how have you resisted these things that Bonhoeffer saw that that you and I are seeing? Um, what are some of the ways, if we could get into this question through sort of the door of your own biography or your own mm. um, life? Um, how, how do you, um, you know, try to do otherwise, try to live a life that's shaped by Christ preeminently? Yeah, um, I would I want to start out by saying that I don't I don't think of myself as someone who um, has arrived in that respect. I'm a beginner. Um, but uh, as far as church is concerned, um, I have in, in recent years, in the last seven years or so, done church quite differently um, than certain other people. And I, in, I go to a, uh, attend a uh, church or rather I'm part of a church community called Hope Fellowship in Waco, Texas. And... Um, Hope Fellowship is unique among churches that I've been a part of or, or known because we all live, almost all of us live right in the neighborhood here that I'm in. Uh, <clears throat> and um, that, that creates a different kind of intimacy. Um, you, you, can't, um, you can't simply dismiss someone. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I was a part of a Congregationalist church in Massachusetts um, where I didn't even have, I only had one conversation during the year that I attended this, this church. Um, and now in, you know, this small church of under, you know, under 35 members, I believe, um, I, you know, I, I live, you know, among all of them. You know, I see them all the time, even during COVID and in a time where we have been locked down because um, of uh, a uh, heart defect that my daughter is, has, my infant daughter. She's going to have surgery, actually, in a couple of weeks. We can come back to that later on. But um, in, uh, even during this time, I see these people all the time. And, you know, we talk about the Christian life. I think that we, that we have a lot of growth to do, specifically in ordering our, um, our life together toward the word. And th- this is, you know, what Bonhoeffer was, was so um, dis- uh, distraught, I think, is, uh, or, you know, uh, unsettled. I mean, that's a better word. Um, by in, in, in seeing the American church. And I think that Hope Fellowship and, and really almost all the other churches that I've been a part of have a lot of work to do in that area. Um, but we have to be among one another, you know, to have that kind of political reality. It can't be, um, you know, church can't, first of all, be a little religious show which is what it is for almost all of us. And it's what we want it to be. Um, So that I think to some degree, if pastors want to do something else, they can't, you know, because people won't come, people won't do it. Um, And um, so, you know, I, uh, being a part of this church has been a, a huge part of my um, attempt to do something different. So um, two things. Let me just jump in. Yeah. You're, you're talking about a church, small church, um, mm-hmm. and you're talking about a church in which almost all the people or all the people live near each other, um, which is like unfathomable for most people to even think, like, how do you start a church that way? Do you literally just knock at neighbor's doors and say, do you want to be a part of this neighborhood church? Right. I mean, it's more like a parish kind of mindset, mm-hmm. it sounds like. So yeah. I want to ask sort of how did it form that way? Because we're so used to the suburban or the metropolitan church where you, you drive across many maybe town or city lines even to get to your Sunday service. Um, so I want, to, I want to get to sort of how did Hope Fellowship start or, or, or do that? How does it even get there? Um, but then you also said something else. I just want to um, get you to open up a little bit. You said you were talking about church and you're talking about the word and you're talking about living among each other. And then you talked about that, I think, as a political reality. Yes. You hear the word political or politics. They usually think red, blue, mm-hmm. president, governors, senators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, state run things, voting things. How are you using political or political reality or politics? relative to the church that might be different than what many people think when they think of politics. 
I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and you know, as I'm, I'm sure you, uh, this is where you're leading me. I think Dave, um, <laughs> Aristotle, uh, you know, wanted, uh, or thought of politics is just how people live together. You know, uh, humans are, he said, political animals. And by that, he didn't mean Democrats and Republicans <laughs> or, you know, national politics in, in, in our terms. Um, he was speaking of how people live together locally, um, you know, how they govern themselves locally. And um, so th that was the city, you know, back then or the town. Um, and I think I'm using the word politics just simply in uh, to reflect how we live together in this church community, how we you know govern the church community, um, how we uh, how we keep it going. So, um, is, is that oriented toward the gospel? That's the question. Mm. Um, and so, so the so the way people often use politics is connected to that, but it's certainly not a central sort of daily um, activity in the same way. Or, or when you're talking about national politics, you may have views, you may involve yourselves in that way, but you're talking about life together to use Bonhoeffer's. That's right. Right. Um, Absolutely. Politics, and as you said with Aristotle, he's literally just looking at different cities and how people live together, yeah. <laughs> how they organize yeah. their lives. Right. And you're saying, well, central to what the church is, if it is to be the church, is that it is life together, that it is an organizing of one's life in every aspect. Um, you know, it doesn't mean the church dictates every single thing in some top-down way, it, but it does mean that to be the body of Christ, to be the, the fellowship of, of believers, the communion of saints, is to is to centrally organize everything about your life with other people uh yeah. and including believers non-believers whatever um so so starting there then how did hope fellowship do that did it call people to move did it like how did it literally make of the church actual neighbors well um I guess it's been 25 years ago, my in-laws uh, moved from Chicago uh, down here to Waco, Texas. And they've been a part of a, a community um, that's even more hardcore than, than us called Reba Place. Uh, it's uh, north of Chicago, actually, in Evanston, where Northwestern is. And um, Reba Place and um, certain other uh, affiliated communities who Hope Fellowship, you know, continues to um, to talk with, and you know, we we you know, we've known them for many years. Um, these communities have common purses, like they will put all their money into in you know into a common purse, so to speak, and all live together, and like you know, and and there's they they trust each other that much, and and. You know, it's a, so we've had this as a model, right? My in-laws moved to Waco, and after some time here, they they wanted um, they wanted to start a community, you know, where um, where Christians were, you know, really trying to live out the way of Christ, 
trying to live it out politically. And so it started out very small in their house. Um, and eventually, you know, perhaps 10 years later, they bought another house that's behind my in-laws house. Um, and uh, they were, they were the pastors um, along with, you know, certain other people for a couple of decades. Now there is a team of four people who provide pastoral leadership for us. Um, and during these years, the church has grown. Um, and, you know, most of the time people have, have come to Hope Fellowship um, because they were already in Waco and they kind of, they thought, huh, you know, this is different. You know, I've never seen anything like your Christian community. And so um, eventually people convince them to move into the neighborhood. Other times they're Mennonite or they're, uh, they're someone who has lived in, lived in some other type of community, a Christian community or whatever. And they, read about Hope Fellowship somewhere. They, they speak with someone who, uh, who knows about Hope Fellowship and they somehow get a hold of a member of the church and you know, start a dialogue and eventually they move. And over and over again, this sort of thing has happened and people will buy houses in the neighborhood um, and you know, live in what, what was not a very good neighborhood. Um, you know, we, we chose that you know, very purposefully. Um, and yeah, it just keeps rolling like that. It's we, the church has succeeded, um, in, in large measure. Yeah. There's the Lord. So. And so you implied there that there was a decision to move into not the greatest neighborhood as far as the metrics usually go, maybe. Yeah. As, as the metrics usually go. <laughs> and, and, and the idea would be to, to, to live there, to, to, bless that place to be a part of it to own that place as as one's home um to, to be neighbors you know with these folks yeah right and how would you say just i don't know week to week or, or you even described even during covid <clears throat> what is the effect you all have your own homes this isn't the hardcore we're all living in one big house you know community <laughs> but um how would you describe the church's sort of effect on you and your family in the sense and maybe that's mm. too big to, to wrestle, but, um, you know, I mean, people think of churches, you go to church. Um, so, yeah. and it sounds like you guys gather, you gather somewhere on Sunday morning, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Um, is it you meet together every day? I mean, like, how is it so different as to its effect on you as someone who I believe grew up in the church has yeah. probably attended several different kinds of churches. Um, how is it different in the way that it's shaped you or shaping you and your family? Hmm. One of the, um, one of the ways is just the sheer amount of time that it demands from, <laughs> from you. Um, and, and I think that has been less, um, since my daughter was born, we've, uh, which was in February and, you know, also with COVID we've kind of backed away from some of the responsibilities that we've, we've taken on. Um, but I'll play music on Sunday. I'm a part of the worship committee, um, you know, planned men's retreats. Um, and, and 
almost everyone in uh, in the church, depending on what their skill set is, you know, ends, ends up being highly involved in one way or another. Perhaps you know they're good administratively. Perhaps they're good at teaching. You know, and so um, perhaps they're an encourager, and so everyone, depending on you know the gifts that God has blessed them with, ends up being very busy. <laughs> and um, if you're busy, if you're committing yourself to this community, that means probably that you know um, your AU game, you know, it, you know, or uh, um, your weekend away sporting event, you know, for, for your kids, you probably gonna have to give that up. Um, and, and some people just can't do that. Right. Um, your, um, you know, your, your golf game, uh, you know, that you <laughs> go out every day after work or whatever, and, you know, and, um, shoot nine. I mean, you know, it, it's really hard to do that. And, to be a part of this community, it it's uh, it ends up being demanding. Um, not to say that uh, people don't have other hobbies; they certainly do, um, and that people don't have lives apart from the community, or that it's dictatorial, as you were speaking of later. Not not at all. Um, quite far from that. But um, but your your life does end up being oriented toward. Um, or, or with maybe these other people, you're you're on the way with them. So that, like, let's say decisions you make, uh, even as a family, you might. I mean, so like most people probably hear what you're saying and they're like, "Whoa, no!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I like to have church, and then I like to have this, and I like to have, you know, I like to have all my things, mm -hmm. and church is one of the things that I like to have. And what you're describing is sacrificially giving up things I would like, but I already have church. So why would I like need to, you know, lose more to still to have what I already have. Um, but you're saying it's, it's a commitment to living less independently. Um, not only maybe how you spend your time, as you're saying, um, but maybe also in how you decide, I mean, deciding about where to move or how, where to live or buy a house, right? I mean, these decisions that we would normally make private, right? Especially financial decisions. People oh, yeah. are very, very private about their finances and their financial decisions. Um, is, it, is it the case that in Hope Fellowship, people would often want to make those kinds of decisions, not just saying, hey, pray for this goal we independently have to come through, but yeah. hey, we want to pray as a community about what's best for my job or about what's best for my, uh, our family, where we should live as a member, or uh, as members of this community, right? Praying with the community, not just having them kind of throw up some bonus prayers to, to, boost, <laughs> to boost your, your, the preset hopes or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, is it that you're kind of submitting even some of those thought processes or those desires um, to the, the involvement of others? It is. In fact, uh, right now, one of one of the members of our pastoral team is has called together a group of people um, to discern whether, you know, whether their family should move to New Zealand. Wow. And 
so there, there have been times when, um, you know, the church has discerned something that the, you know, the person wasn't really, um, that, that wasn't what they desired, you know, at least a part of them desired something different. And so again, this is an addictorial process. No one's stuck in hope fellowship. Um, if, they were, then it would be a cult. And I think that's worth <laughs> noting. Um, <laughs> that's, that's worth, worth saying just in case anybody's stuck out there. Right? <laughs> but, uh, but it's also not, um, you know, Hey Dave, could you, could you pray for my crypto investment? I'm really hoping to buy a private Island. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, just, or, or even in this case, in this case, Hey, we really want to move to New Zealand. Could you pray that the Lord opens a door to make that happen? Right. Right. That would be the not subtle. Even yeah. that. Even not that. even that. I, you know, I have a desire to 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 move to New Zealand. I'm not sure if this is what God wants. Um, will you come together and help us discern? Right. Um, Describe the the use of the word discern there. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, about something. That is a loaded term. Um, and so for most of us, uh, for, mo- for most people, when you say discern, I-, I-, I think it means sit in a room with your Bible, perhaps do some Bible roulette, you know, um, open to the page, you know, and, <laughs> and yeah. I know, hope that God speaks to you. Or I'm just really feeling, you know, um, yeah very New Zealandy today. Or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who isn't, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's one of those places, but yeah. <laughs> or, I'm, I'm feeling called away from Texas where people are, you know, um, not wanting to mask and, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm feeling called. I just feel called. And, and, uh, and, and that's not what we're doing here. Um, you know, we're, we're, we recognize that discernment is hard and sometimes people get it wrong. Right. Um, you know, that that's part of life. That's part of the Christian life. But, uh, if you do it in community, um, then I think you stand a better chance of being open to where the spirit's leading. Um, you know, Dallas Willard, uh, the great Baptist philosopher, uh, was it, uh, Southern Cal, um, USC uh, some years ago, and uh, he's passed on now. He, in his book, Hearing God, he had three lights that he spoke of when it comes to discernment. One, scripture, you know, if, if uh, you're, you think God's leading you towards something that is, uh, you know, that appears to you to be unscriptural, then, then probably you're, you're wrong. Um, and so let's say the scripture box gets checked. You're, you know, seems scriptural Two, um, the, uh, circumstances it, you know, is this pathway actually open? Um, you know, in, in any sense. Um, and okay, well it's, it's not, you know, there's doors closed. Okay. You know, um, and let's say the circumstances are, are good. And then um, there is your, your church community and the, uh, the people who you know are walking with Christ are, um, are uh, 
growing. And, and what are they saying to you? Um, you know, if the other, um, let's say that I'm the one discerning. And if, um, if those people in my life, the other boxes are checked, you know, I really want to, uh, you know, move to California and, but other people are saying, no, you know, um, it doesn't seem to us that that that's what God wants for, for these reasons, then, you know, I, I should probably check myself. <laughs> um, so I think those three lights that, uh, that Willard put, uh, put forward are at least a, a pretty good measure, uh, a pretty good way to go about discernment. And your, your fellowship. So, so, I mean, that, that would be a huge challenge for everybody, right? I think you could get most people on board for the first two. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, you know, I've known plenty of people who that number two is, if you have faith, Joel, circumstances are just uh, from the devil, you know, <laughs> yep. like, uh, I mean, I know people who are like, yeah, I'm going to like step away from every responsibility I have because there's this incredible thing, you know, that I want to go do. And it somehow is related to the Lord. And even if it would put us in my family in financial ruin or, you know, <laughs> all these things, you know, like, like, so you can hyper spiritualize your way through number two, uh, like mm-hmm. a Batman, uh, if you so choose. But I think most people who aren't hyper spiritual in that sense or, or, or uh, tempted in that direction would probably say, okay, yeah, does this check out as far as something that sounds biblical or not forbidden or something that's not yeah. bad, that it's the good? There's the good is involved in this. Um, it makes sense, you know, in, in the sense of, of what Christ lays out we should be concerned with in our lives, uh, in the scripture and then the circumstances. Yeah. Does it, does it, does it practically work? But then I think that third one, I think maybe people would again, in a previous example, ask for prayer, but not ask for discernment in the sense they would ask for their plan that checked boxes one and two to be blessed and to be successful um, but you've done, yeah. you know, I mean, done it too. Yeah, I've done it too. I have too. <laughs> right. Um, but you're describing something in which, and I love the way you framed that people who are following Christ and you said people who are growing. So it's not just, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, uh, but people who are committed to growing personal holiness is developing in their lives you know them, they know you well enough to even be able to discern that much. Um, those people that God has called you to and, and that you are a fundamental part of, right? If we were to take the church seriously, more seriously, mm-hmm. um, those people should have not just some say as far as their opinion, but should have, are given to us to help us hear the leading of the Spirit um, especially in difficult or, um, or unique um, circumstances where, where it's not always clear or where it's yeah. not evident um, right away. Or if it is evident, those people led by Christ uh, for your good, bound up with you, would be able to affirm, right? Oh, yeah, that, that resonates exactly with what the Lord's been doing in your life that seems like it totally is in, in keeping with what we've seen over these years. And, and when we were praying, you know, we we're all sensing from the spirit that this is the direction that would be a really beautiful or beneficial um, that those people that you need to have 
you ought to have, we're supposed to have people in our lives who could pray with us for discernment and help us discern rather than just people who could pray for our desires to come true. Um, and yet, as you say, to have people with you to be able to discern in that way sounds like it requires a lot of intentional <laughs> um, commitment of time and and effort. Um, we're you not have to put yourself yeah. among those people, right? And, and sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes you don't you don't really want to be with them. You'd rather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right, and right. You have to make the choice continually, right. yeah, to, to do so anyway. So, what you are a part of, and and you described ways that you hope that the Hope Fellowship grows and is more and more, you know, oriented around the Word, and and you know, every church is on its way, and yeah. no one has arrived. Um, but you're describing being a part of something that, again, is almost so extremely different than most people's church experience. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to people just on the front end who are like, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, maybe they'll say, okay, well, I have, a, I have a small group, you know, who I see a little more frequently and, you know, or I have a friend or two that's close to me that, you know, kind of helps me a little bit here and there, um, you know, to try to approximate kind of what you're describing. Um, what would you say to those that are used to just going to going to church and then going away from church and and not feeling that the community you're describing is within reach or is practical or is desirable or or is and what would you say um to people who you know we kind of have our rhythms and church is one of them and we might it, it might mean something to us important um but we don't feel like we quite have what you're talking about well, I'm going to use a timely analogy here, um, that of vaccines. And so you all know how vaccines work. Um, you, uh, you get a little of the virus um, or parts of the virus. You know, it might not be live virus like the, the COVID vaccine isn't, for instance. But you, you get inoculated to it. You're protected from it because your body learns to defend itself against that virus. Well, um, I think that uh, very often just going to church and hearing uh, a nice sermon, even a very good biblical sermon, um, and going away and not thinking about um, church or um, you know, how to orient your life politically to the word or whatever uh, for the rest of the week. I, I think that's kind of like being inoculated to the spirit or inoculated to the, you know, to Christ. Mm. Um, you're you're you, getting enough to think you're getting everything, um, but it's not having the decisive shaping or forming aspect that it ought to. It gets easier and easier to ward off Christ and to ward off the promptings of the spirit that way, I think. And, you know, again, I, I, I know this from experience. <laughs> um, I think probably many of us do if, you know, if we admit it. Um, so we, we need to be around other people who are, who, who help us to 
orient our lives toward Christ politically. Um, or, we're, or we're probably going in the other direction. Now, you, 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 you keep saying politically. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and yet what you've described, many people, if they, if, they, if they were being kind, they say, okay, fine, it's not a cult, as he says. <laughs> but it sure <laughs> sounds like a radical sort of commune, sort of hippie Christian thing. It sure sounds like a separatist little community that is not engaged in the world that most people are connected to. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds so extreme. You're talking about giving up golf, Joel, for God's sake, Joel. soccer for my child like it sounds so bizarre um that many people would probably say oh yeah he mentioned mennonites so this is some weird anabaptist thing in which you (laughs) the world right maybe you guys churn your own butter and wear bonnets who knows but um, just the men just (laughs) (laughs) the progressive anabaptists <laughs> um, but, but maybe let's say like what do you keep saying political for like you are you are the least connected to the reality of american life and yet and yeah okay that's sweet you got your own little community and everything but but that's it right you've gotten so weird you know and so extreme maybe in some of your commitments to quote unquote be the church that how could you say you are you there is a political reality or that you're engaged with the world at all uh, that mm-hmm. you're engaged with neighbors who aren't already very strange like you, right? Like most people right. would just be like, yeah, think, but no thanks. So, so what connection do you have um, if your life is so formed by your commitment and your witness and the time mm-hmm. you're taking with your church fellowship? Um, how do you have time to be engaged with the rest of the world or, or connected to the world in, in legitimate ways? Well, as it happens, um, these, you know, much of what the church does together, um, sometimes I think too much, uh, it involves community action. You know, you have um, Hope Fellowship members out um, working in the schools in one way or another, um, working with homeless folks, um, you know, which is, uh, you know, another thing that a good number of people do. Um, working uh, at a, uh, um, I should describe this, a, a, a children's home for, uh, um, for uh, children who have been abandoned or, um, you know, in various situations. We have, I believe, four Hope Fellowship members that work there. Um, and, and other people volunteer uh, there. And, my wife, um, another good example, is an immigration attorney. She started a, a, an immigration law firm, or rather a branch of another firm in Waco. And she went to law school specifically in order to do this. Uh, it was an outgrowth, and it just seemed like the natural next step for someone with her abilities who was coming from Hope Fellowship. Um, you know, you, you had many people in our area who are undocumented and, um, you know, Christian people um, who uh, have been part of the community, perhaps they're DACA folks um, who have been here their whole lives. And so, you know, she was meeting a need. Yeah. I, and I, that's, uh, that's been a big part of, 
of our life together too. So your wife, her job, her actual salaried, her paid position is something she pursued because of her church, because of where her church was and the needs of the neighbors and the place, the place that she and that you had committed your lives to, committed your time to, committed to putting roots down. And then from that place and in that community, um, she sees a need, sees an ability she has, pursues training. I mean, you know, the whole thing. But her, instead of, instead of what we would normally do, which is, uh, you know, train yourself to get a good paying job, go to wherever the good paying job is open, right? Move your family and, you know, live your life, you know, following the good paying job, which you trained for, right? You went to college for whatever. Um, she didn't, that's not the order in which she, she did these things or, or that is not the lens through which she made those decisions, even though she's ended up an incredibly, what people recognize, important, critical, uh, highly skilled, highly trained position um, that many people, oh yeah, lawyer, wow, you really, you know, you did it, you did the right thing, right? What a great job, you know, doctors, lawyers, right? And yet she didn't do it for that reason in that way, but did it as how can I meet a need in the place I've already committed to based on the people who already are here um, rather than trying to design the world around the job, um, how can I use my work as a way of, of fitting into and blessing and helping the people we are already among? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, she grew up in Hope Fellowship. And I think, um, at least to some degree, um, her uh, her desires were formed in such a way that, that that seemed like the natural thing to do for her. Um, and, you know, she'll still tell me on occasion that, you know, um, nonprofit immigration attorneys are, are looked down upon by for-profit folks. They, they, they think that we went into nonprofit work because we couldn't cut it rather than because of who we wanted to serve. Um, and then criminal lawyers or, you know, um, there are many, uh, you know, many different types of lawyers, as many uh, other lawyers as are out there, they, they typically think, oh, you know, immigration law, yeah, you know, they don't get paid a whole lot, you know, uh, apparently had to settle, you know, um, and, you know, most of those folks don't think that maybe the goal isn't just to make a bunch of money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, she, she chose exactly this path um, for the reasons that, that you um, just outlined. And so I'm, I'm still learning this. I, you know, I started, um, I started in Hope Fellowship um, in, I started attending in 2014, I believe, end of 2014. And so I was just on the verge of starting a PhD program. And, you know, I've got a number of articles and, you know, the, 
the journals you're supposed to publish in and I've got a book and, um, and I'm adjuncting at this point. I could, I could move and, you know, even with the job market and get a, you know, get a job somewhere and, you know, probably in the sticks <laughs> and, you know, Anneli could probably find a way to make more money. Um, but, you know, the people that were, um, that are here, keep us here. Yeah. When you, when you would talk about the way that the church, so let's say the church more generally now, um, yours, I think, is a great epitome of many of the things I would hope we would all recognize we should move toward. Um, you know, the, the, the things that you're describing, Hope Fellowship is trying to embody and enact. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the book Slow Church. Um, there's, a, there's a nice, really nice treatment of many of these things coming from people who, you know, did church the way we normally do church, big box, travel far. Um, it, it's part of the convenience of life. So wherever we land for other reasons, then we find a church and, and move on from there. Um, not bad, but, but eventually insufficient. And eventually, um, especially maybe in moments like the last couple of years, um, you, you feel the poverty of it. You feel the, the yeah. disconnect or the isolation in, in uniquely different ways. Um, or even you feel the ways in which you are not being shaped by how much you're getting worked up over other things or you're finding yourself engaging more passionately in things that have nothing to do with Christ than you ever imagined you would before, right? Um, so I, I think there, I hope, uh, a book like Slow Church, I uh, highly recommend people to read um, your experience, moving us in a, in a way to say, okay, in a post-Christian America, the church has an incredibly important role to maybe recover the language or the, the, the embodiment, incarnational kind of ministry that you're talking about, incarnational life, life in flesh with others, not just a hypermobile life, not just an independent, what is the best way to succeed the financial you know, steps of whatever, uh, decision-making trees, all those kinds of things. But the church is meant to be in the world as a witness to the world of the person of Jesus Christ and the kingdom he, he, he is sovereign over and the salvation he brings. And, and the church cannot do that if it is so distracted or if it's lost its ability to shape individuals that are a part of the church in the most central ways, in, in the issues of the heart and issues of our time, how we spend our money, right? Like those are the big things that are practical, but are all the indicators of what you really love, what you really care about, where you invest your money. It's how you invest your time. It's with whom you are engaging uh, the things of life. Um, so if, if you were to step back and say, okay, the church in, in America, um, how should we think maybe more broadly, theologically, about the church's role in a country like this uh, mm. that has a, a history you know so well, <laughs> having written much about it, um, and has always a trapdoor here, there, anywhere to get out of doing life together. 
um, and has anything else on offer to motivate the heart to pursue other things for other reasons. Um, how should we understand the church's role in the world? Because so much of this podcast has taken the time to say, it's not to fight a culture war. It's not to try to take over a government and legislate morality for those who do not confess Christ to live forcibly in ways as though they did. Um, that the church has a role that is not separatist. It's not a cult. It's not hiding from the world, but it has a witness in the world that is not through power, that is not through conventional means, maybe, of, of civic or state power, per se. Right? Like, I, I know it's a huge thing, but if you could step back and just say that, that bigger picture of how should we understand the role of the church in this time? There's a lot that, um, that I could say to that, but I'm going to come at it through the issue of religious liberty. Okay. I think, I think that religious liberty has become, the whole conversation among more conservative uh, Orthodox Christians, um, it, it has poisoned us. It, it, is, it, is, it is destroying us. Um, you know, we are obsessed with getting permission from the state and validation from the state about how we order our life. And yeah, religious liberty is great. I, I like not being harassed um, by the state for, for living, um, you know, for orienting my life to the word. I'm, I'm glad that I live in a country that that allows me to do that. Uh, but if someday that didn't happen, then we would just keep doing what we do, <laughs> trying to force um, the country, one, to, you know, to assure that liberty, and two, to you know, live according to, to the word, to the law of Christ, you know, to the you know, according to the Ten Commandments, whatever it might be for you, um, the you know that might be good if the world you know was going to live like that. I mean, that would be that'd be great, right? Those are righteous things. Those are good things, and the world is never going to do that because it's the world. <laughs> the world is the world, and uh, this is a, you know, these sorts of phrases are phrases that Stanley Hauerwas, a friend of Anabaptists everywhere, um, has used. And he got them from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, actually, um, from Bonhoeffer's book, Ethics. Um, that's at least one source. So just as Hauerwas said, let, you know, let the world be the world. Because it's not going to do anything else. It's not going to become the church. The... Uh, and in the late 19th century, um, uh, the turn of the 20th century, many Christians in America started talking about the, this new century as the Christian century. Hence the title of the, the liberal Protestant magazine, right? Which has had such an influence and now has almost no readers left. <laughs> um, not to pick on them or anything, but... Um, and so the, the idea was more or less um, that, you know, what, what we should be doing is um, 
changing the world, changing industry, um, you know, uh, changing America to make it line up with the gospel, right? Um, and you do that however you can. When it became apparent that that really wasn't working so well, led to, you know, like, you know, uncouth things like imperialism and, you know, um, then people started to get, uh, you know, get more cynical. Um, but none of us, you know, even the liberals ever really gave up on that project. And later, of course, as you know, um, and the listeners know, conservatives just picked up on that project again in the 80s with the moral majority, Jerry Falwell, uh, Pat Robertson, um, James Dobson, and they rode that horse trying to change the nation into the kingdom of God. And it never works. It never works. What happens is instead of changing the nation, we change the church. And so my uh, friend Ralph Wood and uh, and Howard Wass once wrote in an essay that, contrary to popular belief, uh, America is not a nation with the soul of a church. The church with the soul of a nation. <laughs> that's brutal. Um, but um, I think I think that's true. Um, so, yeah, Howard Wass yeah. is looking, right. Uh, the church's primary task is to make the world the world. Yes. Is to live in such a way that is so obviously oriented around Christ. I think he says other other places. Um, Christians should live in such a way that their lives are unintelligible if the person that we worship is Jesus Christ does not exist. That are that the decisions you're making, the decisions your wife makes for her work, and all these other things, that Christians should live in such a way that their lives do not have intelligibility, do not really add up or make sense unless Jesus Christ is Lord, unless He really exists, He really rose, He really is seated on a throne, He really has sent us His Spirit to guide, to discern, to 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 empower the things he's called us to do and to be, um, our lives should not be able to be removed from, have Christian language removed from them, have church going removed from it, and still make perfect sense. If Christ is not risen, if Christ is not true, then the Christian life you're living shouldn't make sense, right? Like that, that, that is an incredible challenge right because I, I can think of i can think of being in a room okay that was a very weird experience i can think of being in a room with a bunch of pastors and these are like mostly mega church pastors so these are pretty high-powered fellas um and we were discussing the issues of 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 guns and violence um christian view of gun and violence uh, whether there should be guns on campuses at churches. And one pastor at one point famously said, I carry a Glock to protect the flock, Joel. Okay. And he talked about, having, <laughs> oh, that is, talked about having a oh, gun no. in the pulpit in case anything happened during the service. And I was like, you're going to, you're going to shoot someone dead from the pulpit while you're, while you're telling everyone they can be saved through the blood of Jesus. Um, 
And I remember this, this wild conversation. And that was a very extreme version. Many of <laughs> the other pastors were like, whoa, I wouldn't do that. You know, it wasn't like everybody was in the same spot. But I remember the conversation went for a little while. And at some point, I, it was my turn to talk or I just started talking, I forget. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, you know, everything you're describing is what people who don't believe in Jesus would do. Like every single thing that has been laid out is merely common sense, self-protective, you know, what anybody who didn't believe in Jesus would do in every single way for their business, their organization, their family, themselves, right? Like they're, they are the center of all decision-making and practical reasoning. And, and I just said, that it just seems very strange that pastors would be able to talk about something so seriously without us asking the question, does Christ make any difference to the, the things we should do or say about all of these issues? Like, why are we even gathered as pastors if nothing we're doing or saying looks any different from what anyone who doesn't believe Jesus is Lord would do anyway? Like, what are we doing here? And and, you know, some people, it, it turned the conversation for a moment. And it, I wasn't trying to, it wasn't like a self-righteous thing. It was just like, there was a moment in which it was just like, I was just sitting in a room with normal people who would rather be safe and happy and successful and not have to worry about things. And it yeah. just was like, that can't be how we pastor. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be how we lead other people to live radical Christian lives, except when it really matters, you got to throw all that out and just do what anybody else would do who doesn't believe Jesus is Lord. And, and Dave, it's actually because I believe that that's how pastoring should be done, that I'm not one, at least at this point in my life. Right. Um, I'm, you know, I used to say maybe when I'm 50, <laughs> but, but that's not, that's, that's a stupid thing to say. It's when, you know, um, if you're called, of course, if you have the gifts and if you're orienting your life toward the word in the way that you were speaking of, if it's, if it makes sense, if your life makes sense to everybody else out there, um, apart from the word, you know, then what you're doing isn't Christian but your preaching is Christian. So, so maybe we could close with a, a word about hope fellowships. Um, well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to rob your, you guys of your rewards, but, um, but my sense is okay. Um, that a church like that committed to its neighbors uh, committed to orienting its decision-making around the needs of the community in which it has um, decided to belong and be among, um, that a place like that is doing something of what Jesus describes when he said, you are the salt of the earth, hmm. the light of the world, um, having an impact on people's lives that is not the impact so much of Christianity is having on this country right now, which is to say engaged in a rhetorical or otherwise battle for the direction of a, you know, national government system or whatever. Um, but that if any of us who are listening to this would 
commit to being the church together, looking out for the people around us, orienting our lives around Christ, first, last, always, um, that there would be, that the result of that would be what the scripture means by a witness, that it would show people, yes, this sounds unintelligible, Unless, like the way that Joel is describing, <laughs> the way that people in that neighborhood are making their decisions and spending their time sounds so weird and so strange and so intelligible, unless Jesus really means what he says in the Gospels about how we should live, unless Jesus really is the most important thing in our lives. Um, I know Hope wouldn't claim that it's perfect in any of those ways but that but that but that is clearly the goal of that fellowship to witness to a different way of life that precisely because it's so different is probably going to end up having a much more outsized impact on real people's lives non-christian lives um, than so much of the thousands of words or red-faced arguments or uh, political machinations that we we so often believe will truly change things hope fellowship is it seems to me is a kind of place that believes that change happens first and foremost in the heart of an individual who encounters christ and realizes he genuinely changes everything and not just when we die, um, but here and now. Would we be able to, well, it strikes me that there are so many forms of church that make this not possible or make this almost impossible. And I'm not questioning sincerity. Uh, I'm not questioning belief, um, Christian faith. Um, but just really what we've been talking about so much is, is also, it's just form so much form, yeah. right? So much just assumptions about what the church looks like or how one attends. Um, do you think that it's time for a radical reassessment of those things? Do you think that hope fellowship is a sort of strange offshoot and everyone's just kind of got to find their way? Or do you think there really are forms that, that make this very difficult to fundamentally change or shape the way people live. I do think that there are forms of the, of the church today um, that make following Christ very hard. I, I do want to say that Hope, Hope Fellowship is most certainly still on the way. We have a lot of work to do, a lot of growing to do. Um, but those, those churches, um, those very large churches who were organized around a personality rather than around the word, you know, it, it's going to be hard. Um, that person, that personality could be a great personality. You might learn a lot from them. But if there isn't a form of life 
to go along with that church. If you're just coming on Sunday and hearing this amazing sermon, hearing this great music um, and leaving, maybe, maybe it's wonderful and, and maybe you feel very pious. Maybe it keeps you from, from swearing as much as you would have <laughs> you know, the rest of the week or, or whatever it is, you know, um, that's, that's fine. But um, again, it's, it's inoculation um, rather than a thorough leavening of one's life. And I think any form of the church that um, encourages people whether tacitly or explicitly, it's usually tacit, right? That to come, um, be comfortable, rest, enjoy our, um, our religious show, and then you can go on with your life with a little direction from God, then that, that I think in the end makes um, this way of life that we're talking about impossible, or at least very hard. That's a lot of churches. Um, and there are degrees of this. Um, there are some, I suspect there are some quite large churches that do okay, that, that do in fact draw people into a fuller life. Um, you know, we're with small groups and in other ways. And there are some smaller churches that just function as sort of, you know, religious pit stops for people and <laughs> the road of life. But I think the, the, uh, uh, the, there's a pattern here to, to think about for our listeners. I really appreciate it, Joel. I appreciate that the Lord has called you in, in the direction of, of deep and academic, you know, engagement, but that, um, your sensibilities and your commitments as a person, as a Christian and your family is just so practical. It's so day to day. And I, I know that has probably made, as you said, times things much harder than, <laughs> than they could have been uh, in certain ways. But I would also imagine, especially in what you mentioned briefly before, you know, when we're praying, we want to be praying with you for your daughter and this, the surgery. Thank you. Uh, that she is is heading toward um i would imagine having people with you whether they're able to be there uh, but knowing that they are so much with you in the spirit um as you face things that no one can predict or plan to face or would hope to face but i would imagine that it's moments like that where you, you recognize the the wisdom of the lord uh, calling us to to bind our hearts with one another um so that we're not alone um, as we face the challenges of life in so many ways. If, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to just say a prayer um, just for, Thank you. for, yeah. church, for our churches and for Daniela, your daughter. Um, Father, thank you for, for Joel. We thank you for his family. We think first and foremost at this moment of his daughter's um, surgery. And we just pray for just an expert um, expert uh, care in this moment, in this time, that there would just be a, a flawless procedure. Um, that it would be remarkable in her response to it. Um, and that the fears and worries about 
what Texas is experiencing right now with COVID that I know those, those fears and worries would press in on, on Joel's heart and on his wife's heart um, for the sake of their daughter. I just pray, Lord, that there would be a um, protection around her and that there would be safety um, in the coming and the going from the hospital. And I pray that she would just thrive, Lord, that there would just be strength and life and hope flowing into her lord through your care and through and through the care of those that you have surrounded her with um, including these doctors and including this fellowship lord and we do lift up your church it's your church um, and i and i pray two things i pray that all churches would feel convicted by the spirit to reorient their whole life around you and I pray for the courage in some cases for people to change the church they participate in or to, to realize that the forms that they are engaged with are doing the opposite of what they need to do. I pray for all of us that we would consider ways that maybe our lives could be lived with more obedience and less convenience, which I know is so hard in the American heart. But Lord, I do pray that the church in this moment would recover and build, however slowly, a true and faithful witness to Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, help us in the day-to-day -to, -day to so orient our lives around you and your love that we live in a way that is only recognizable when someone realizes Jesus really did come into this world. He really did love the least of these he really did die for all to be saved and he really is seated on a throne uh, bringing his kingdom into this place we thank you lord for the opportunity to be called according to your name what a gift what a mercy and what a responsibility um, i ask that joel and i and anyone who hears this would find themselves um, more and more compelled to submit to that calling um, for what a great calling it is Thank you for this time, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joel, for your time. I think of your book, like Chaucer speaks of his, um, at the end of Troilus and Cressida, he says, go, little book, as it goes out into the world. <laughs> go, little book, find your home in people's hearts. Um, I pray that this wonderful book, uh, Bonhoeffer's America, Land Without Reformation, Baylor University Press, I pray it will go out to many homes and find its place in many hearts that people will not only flip through it, but that they will actually read it. And as you say, maybe even remember it beyond the year or the following, but that there would be something <laughs> that people could hold on to and say, man, that is compelling. That makes a lot of sense, man. And that really helps me see the world in which I find myself. And maybe even that really motivates me to, to move into a world that is more and more what Christ has called us to be. Uh, thank you, Joel, for your time and for your honesty. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. This is always fun, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on newsletter, and sign up there. 
until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with 